Companies will need to be the co-author of their own stories as they figure out how we work through this period of uncertainty and ultimately getting to the place where this ends and people can get back to focusing on growth and thriving again. I think we're going to be surprised by the innovation that comes out of companies through this time of crisis. Hi, I'm Kathy Lenhart, co-head of the Global Consumer Retail Practice at PJ Solomon. Thank you for joining us today. I know many of you are listening from home. We too are at home as we work through this crisis. I'm in my living room and apologies if you hear my daughter doing cartwheels outside my office. I'm joined by my partner, Derek Pitts, who leads our debt advisory and restructuring team. We're here today to talk about the state of the consumer and retail market in this unprecedented period of the coronavirus. We'll also talk about expectations, consumer behavior, and how we're advising clients at this time. I'm here with my partner, Derek Pitts, who leads our debt advisory and restructuring team. Derek, hi. I know your team has been extraordinarily busy working with clients across the PJS retail sectors. Why don't we start with that? Can you comment on what you're seeing out there? Sure thing, Kathy. We spend a lot of time working with companies across all sectors in special situations, challenging times as such as this. Kathy, I have this quote that I like to say that, you know, if you think you have enough liquidity, double it, and then you might have enough, right? That's sort of the sentiment that really is pervasive in the market today. And there's a lot of people that are spending these, these early moments figuring out just how to survive, how to triage. Uh, and when they do that with operations, which we'll talk about, there are some meaningful capital markets, financing, balance sheet, and leverage implications that go into that. So before we talk about that, so what are you seeing from the retail operational side uh, as we go into this? Not surprisingly very challenging. I think you use a very good word called triage. With stores closed indefinitely for non-essential products, both the retailers and the discretionary brands who sell through these retailers are practicing a range of self-help options. I know you're hearing that. We're hearing that from across our client base. Call it hibernating or simply survival. You know, companies are doing, you know, going back to liquidity, they're doing everything they can to preserve cash and survive during this. And, you know, I think the playbook is is already playing out. It includes initiatives, deferring payables to vendors, really extending those days, um, landlords and suppliers extending those payments. And then, you know, very prominent now is furloughing store field employees and even into the corporate employee base. Lots of examples. We saw Macy's furloughing over 100,000 employees, Gap 80,000, and even, you know, the real estate guys are furloughing employees. And, you know, I think there is some positivity in this time. You are seeing the executives stand up and, and cut and eliminate their own salaries and their team salaries. We're seeing a lot of corporate philanthropy. We're seeing some good things come out of this, but make no mistake, this is definitely a period of survival. And I think, you know, when you go back to that, if we call that triage, I don't know, Derek, if that's how you characterize it. What about the balance sheet? What are you seeing there? Triage is the perfect word on the balance sheet side. 
given all of the things that you mentioned, obviously it creates a whole landslide of issues with any kind of debt document that you have, whether it be credit agreement, secured notes, unsecured notes, those are all contracts and it creates a landslide of problems with the contracts. But also at the same time, those issues or defaults or problems that have been created are not top of mind for companies as they try and survive. All the things you mentioned are important. And so what happens is a lot of the balance sheet issues they are creating will definitely have to be addressed in a future phase, right? And if you think about this in a now, next, and later type of process that yet is to be defined by the calendar in the now phase, people are taking the steps that you're thinking about. Um, and as a part of that, even though they're creating a lot of issues on the balance sheet relative to liquidity, you're seeing sort of two general areas open up. One, if you're a larger company, typically larger cap, historically positive cash flow, you are actually accessing additional liquidity as best you can to the extent you can. And a lot of these bigger companies are able to get it, whether they're in addition to drawing revolvers, they may be tapping accordion features they might have in certain of their loan agreements to get additional capital. People who actually can tap the revolver in some cases have chosen not to, but actually have raised different capital so they have more money on the balance sheet and still can show a lot of liquidity. So if you're able to do that, it's just all about liquidity, liquidity, liquidity. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got the traditionally middle market or smaller companies, maybe historically challenged, not as much access to liquidity. And that's where the operational issues get magnified because then the landslide of issues you're creating on the balance sheet side, almost starting now, have to be a focus have to be focused on and have to be worked out. And some of the things you mentioned, which is to re-highlight, you know, if you're not paying rent, you got to deal with that in a month. If you're not paying interest, you got to deal with that in a month. If you're not paying your trade vendors, you probably don't have to deal with that in a month, but you got to deal with it in two or three or four months, right? So it, it, we're seeing that dichotomy has expanded. So if you think about the next phase, once this triage moment is there and you've done what you can do, what do you think happens next? I think the uncertainty is so staggering to most companies, brands, retailers. You know, let's just talk about the U.S. market, because if you're a, a multinational or truly global company, the considerations are different. But let, let's talk about North America or U.S. domestic. We're seeing companies are modeling there's a reopening. Let's talk about what that means. And, in, in, you know, it's May, June, July. But what does that mean? Is it rolling opens? It's not going to be a hard and fast open. So, you know, I think folks, as soon as they get through this initial phase of what do I have to do now and make sure I'm cutting off any electronic payments out of my payables, <laughs> I mean, it's really challenging. Then they're going to turn to what next? And as I've said, I think most folks, and maybe that's being optimistic, are sort of modeling in a return in that sort of early summer timeframe. But the planning is going to get very complicated. You know, in a lot of cases, they've, you know, shut off their supply chains. You know, the distribution and the shipping has been open, but as folks hibernate their supply chains, the complexity of modeling through the fall and predicting what's going to happen is really challenging. And I, I think as we talk to clients, that's going to be the next phase of planning. How do we come back in this environment? A key aspect of that next phase, and, and this is, we get 
this question a lot and we're working with people on how to think through this, even access it is, if, if I don't have liquidity now and can't get it, but I know I'm going to need it in this next phase, where do I go? Who does it come from? And most importantly, how do people even make the decision, right? Whether to invest giving, as you put it, the staggering uncertainty. But part of that answer is, as, as is anything in a workout or a restructuring uh, special situation type of environment, you, you have to find a way to structure around the uncertainty. This happens to be an unprecedented and almost incalculable level of uncertainty, but companies will have to figure it out, will have to move forward. There will be a restart. There will be an opportunity at some point to start getting back to run rate, but you don't know when that's going to happen. I agree. People are modeling different scenarios and having different views because you just have to have an understanding of what impacts it could mean to the business and your liquidity position. We've also heard from a lot of capital providers who say they're open for business. They're willing to provide support. And so part of what we do in the next phase, will be trying to help companies story around the uncertainty, structure around it, help companies figure out how to make a little more permanent a lot of the steps, the temporary steps they've had to take and endure in the triage moment, and all that has to get wrapped up into a story that gives you some stability or some breathing room until the uncertainty starts to get reduced, which means that you have better visibility into when and how you might be able to reopen. So then you can start to make those kind of decisions. But one of the things I also like to say is, you know, when you think about capital providers, why is the story so important? Is why is the telling of the story so important? Is generally capital providers, save for some rare exceptions, are in the business of funding rising tides, right? They're not in the business of, of catching falling knives, right? And, and so this market environment is, is a lot of falling knives. And so we have to figure out a way to, to position it and structure for people a solution that people can be attracted to that sets you up for the next set of decisions. And so when, when we think about that to a longer term or the later term, and I think Kathy, you touched upon it in terms of how to even think about what happens when the clouds clear and reopen, what do you think happens then operationally? I think what we're advising our client is get the liquidity you need now and get more than you think you need, right? To weather through that uncertainty. But you mentioned something really important, you know, those who are surviving, thriving, and then those who are not. We've always talked about the retail and consumer sectors in terms of have and have nots. And I think you're seeing a lot of definitional changes in consumer behavior in this environment where consumers are frightened. They're frightened about their jobs. They're frightened about their outlook. Consumer discretionary goods have been particularly impacted. You know, we've seen apparel retailers down 40, 50%. The question is how much can direct to consumer e-commerce you know, hold a critical mass of business. And, you know, those sectors have lagged only apparel, which are down much more in sales growth versus the pre-crisis numbers. But in consumables, it's a very different story. Essentials, food, household products are strong, personal care, health and wellness, supplements are growing rapidly. This consumer is really focused on well-being during what I would call a global health crisis. And Derek, you work in food retail and grocery and do a lot of work there. You know, that's a different story, right? So the financing alternatives and capital available is different for different segments 
of this retail economy. Any comments there? It's uh, very true. When you look at the even the whole spectrum of different of different industries that that can be affected, right? And and if you and you mentioned food retail, you have apparel, and even when you think about just even trying to imagine airlines or hotels relative to the vacation market when people will start to travel and spend money and spend money on that when you think about restaurants theme parks or movie theaters which a lot of people like to talk about each one of those sectors is going to have a different cadence and a different sort of set of things they have to solve for relative to how they try to get back the run rate which will implicate how they survive through this period. So food retail is, is, is having a moment, right? There's a couple of things happening there. There's obviously the surge, right? Where people are stocking up on stuff, getting things they need for the household, given that there's a lot of uncertainty relative to how long you'll be, these, these social mitigation efforts will be in play. But then there's also the other element, which could lead to some stickiness and could, could lead to long-term is with fewer dining options, with fewer delivery options, people are now back to, buying grocery products, bringing it home, cooking it, making it. Grocery products at the grocery store have also meaningfully expanded into prepared foods, which could be that. And the question is, you know, so that is that just the moment or is there some of that that's going to be sticky and be around? And so a lot of those companies today are exceeding plan, generating cash. And, and while they're doing a lot of good things with it to support their communities, to make sure employees are supported, to help with charitable giving, doing their part, right, to, to support the communities relative to, to the effects of the, of the pandemic. They also have the opportunity to get somewhat stronger because they're generating cash flows. They can reduce some other leverage. They can do some other things that help shore them up as a part of what's happening. And so their dynamics are different. But then along with everyone else, while they're not in triage, they too need to reevaluate what's happening for the longer term to make sure they're set up appropriately on, on the balance sheet. Because some of this bump that they're having now may abate, but then the question is, where does it go and for how long? And there's always the, the thing here that, as you mentioned, the have versus the have nots, even no matter how you look at it, it's still a situation where the, the bigger, larger, well, more capitalized competitors could you get stronger here and increase the distance or increase the lead? So there's a lot of strategic thinking needed relative around those names in particular. I think that's right. I mean, as we as a consumer retail group think about it, and you know, we work closely with you, and we cover a lot of categories, hard lines, soft lines, consumables, wholesale, retail, direct to consumer. The one truism that we feel strongly about is that consumer purchasing may be forever altered and tapping into this, these changes and optimizing where you can is going to be critical for brands and for retailers and the strategies they employ. We do a lot of retail, obviously a lot of uh, retail consumer and M&A advisory. Just for a few moments, what are you seeing on M&A as a, a solution or a solve for liquidity problems? And let's just touch on M&A generally. I think the way we look at it is M&A is generally not now, but it is, I think it's going to have a major role to play uh, when we get through the area of uncertainty and people are recalibrating their restart, figuring out what their story is, what their permanent benefits or disadvantages relative to what has occurred and figuring out what their story is. I think M&A 
as a funding mechanism because people may not be able to have enough liquidity or raise enough capital or just might have higher value in the hands of someone else, given everything that's happened from where they have to start. So I think what informs M&A not now is while you may have capitalized companies or investors that will look and look around and be ready to do something, I think you have sellers that still in this moment of uncertainty aren't thinking about running an M&A process. You might have some super distressed situations where it's the only option. And if you happen to be in a segment where you can find a buyer or something happens, then, then maybe that's an option, but that's going to be the rarity. Sellers are going to want to get back on their feet. They're going to want to get to a place of some level of stability so they can still in this environment command uh, something I don't think is a deeply discounted temporary valuation this location. So I don't think you have a large meeting of the minds right now in this window of time, but when the uncertainty clears, I think M&A will have a very large part to play in how all of this gets restructured, fixed, and modified, and could really drive that market for a period of time. Completely agree with that. I think on the M&A front, the pandemic has largely halted the non-distressed M&A market is businesses focus on what's in front of them and the challenges they're facing right now. I would add to the extent there were transactions in the works as we came into this cycle of coronavirus, we did see contracts and purchase agreements getting signed that were generally written expressly to carve out pandemic risk. And we do think these deals get done. We expect them to get done. But we are in extraordinary times. And, you know, I think as we saw coming out of 08, 09, when founders, companies, leaders have gone through this type of risk and uncertainty, it does change their mindset. And their view is, you know, do I want to go this on my own? Can I consolidate, you know, create costs, create a bigger organization with more scale and competitive advantage? We have seen that it does start to, to trigger more M&A. Once the volatility and the uncertainty diminishes, I do think we'll see more M&A. I agree. We have a number of clients that a couple under contract. It's, it's still a, a wait and see. People are still working towards how to make that happen. You know, The uncertainty is still so high. While you see globally, you see and start to hear that there will definitely be certain deals that just don't get done because the pricing is different or the, uh, the ability to get financing is different or some businesses are just so deeply affected by what's happening, maybe disproportionately, right? That M&A trade just isn't the right valuation proposition anymore. But I think you'll also have others. I mean, putting an M&A trade into the stasis if you're under contract can be, can be difficult, but you might have some extension of outside dates. You may have some recalibration of what those businesses can do we haven't seen people just wholesale jump at this point from that, um, but there's sort of this period of time where everyone's just kind of absorbing what's happening. Everyone's running their math. Everyone's trying to get as much visibility as they possibly can before they decide to make any major new decisions or reevaluate any older decisions. Once the uncertainty clears, uh, whatever that means and whenever that happens, and there's a mandate to be able to go ahead and, and restart and do some of these other elements. How do you how do you see that playing out beyond the M&A context? You know, I think most businesses are not going to let this crisis 
go to work. They're gonna they're examining their cost structures, their agility. Hopefully, you know, there's a lower base of cost structure to come out of this, which can give them operating leverage and the ability to expand margins coming out of this. The other thing is technology is still a real area of focus. And, you know, this critical channel of distribution in a time where physical retail got shut down is going to be ever more important where it, whether, and I think even ship from store. So that, that whole supply chain, logistics, distribution, and the technology enablement of all of that is going to be ever more important to retailers and brands as we come out of this. Companies that have reduced costs, increased operating capabilities, strengthened their agility. You know, we as Americans are optimistic and we know the consumer will come back. And the, these companies are going to be better positioned. If they've survived through this, then they're going to be better positioned coming out of it. But they have to have the technology and the capabilities to enable that. One of the most interesting aspects of what you just covered, and I don't think a lot of people think about the opportunity set on this side, is is this situation breeds innovation because that's the path forward because you have to have it. And from my seat, I believe they'll also be driven by the need for, but also the creativity of people, whether it be business people, financing people, advisors, everybody. Everyone, everyone gets an innovative mindset. There are paths that are created that find ways to structure around problems that you may or may not have seen before. And on, on the balance sheet side, innovations could come in a number of different forms. I mean, the, the level of dislocation for all your counterparties, when you think about what it takes to restart, think about what it takes to get your consumer back and get back to the margins. But there's a whole ecosystem, right, that is required to do that. It goes from your trade vendors to your supply chain to your distribution points to the point of sale resources being back. And a lot of the companies are global, or at least their supply chain is global. So it's not only just you here, it's what's happening all the way back in the chain. What's their situation from your supplier? Do they need to have some financial support to continue to manufacture key products for you, which will be a, a key element that people have to figure out, which is not something companies and our clients have historically done because that's been done through the typical, let me borrow my bank debt, let me fund the trade payable, all the timing of cash flows has had a certain cadence to it. Well, that's completely different, but you still have to move goods and you still have to meet the consumer where they need to be met. And so you're going to need different innovative structures around how to make sure that ecosystem in its pieces gets put back together until at some point in time, it molds together with all the innovation that you're talking about in terms of the way people need to look at their business, relook at it, become more agile, do things differently. And I think you, you, could, you could have some very, very interesting assets and situations come out of it. There's going to be a lot of pain and there's going to be a lot of stories that, that aren't successful, right? There are going to be situations where people just, the, the ecosystem has become too, too broken. The weight is too much. Their flexibility is too limited, right? You're, you're just going to have that. And, 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 and this process, in some ways, is going to accelerate, I think, a lot of that, what, what could have happened over a longer period of time. But then you'll also have um, the people that can take advantage of the innovations or have, have managed the process enough where they've done enough of the right things, had enough liquidity, moved the different things around in a way that didn't totally smash, but sort of worked, even though it's hurt in a way that you can start to put everything back together again once it 
once it comes together. So it's going to be interesting time, whatever that ramp up back is, and there's going to be a lot of creative thinking that needs to be brought to the table. And the one thing that's going to enable this is there is a mindset of we're all in it together. The retailers, the brands, the supply chain, you know, the financing sources, and there's just more of a willingness, it seems to be constructive among all the constituencies than ever before. This is a global crisis. And it's interesting to see how conversations are progressing and how folks are working together now, but also will be interesting to see how they work together as we come out of it. We have a 30-year history advising consumer retail companies across cycles, you know, and providing that independent advice across strategic and financial matters. And we're going to be here to help our clients through this. And, you know, whether it's a unique capital structure or financing situation or just good sound advice, that's what we're here. And that's what we're going to be doing. One of the most important things that companies can and should do and that we're helping them with is is given the unprecedented nature of this. I mean, we've 30 years, as you say, we've been helping people through all kinds of different cycles. And I think a couple of those cycles, you'll look back and people were also using the word unprecedented. And so when you look at this unprecedented, while it has a lot of wide reaching ramifications, also has the opportunity for people to relook at what they do and be creative. And, and since you're right. Everyone is in a similar situation. Everyone has been almost as equally as dislocated. What that means is as different parts of the system start to turn back on and some will turn on earlier, some will turn on later, there'll be different places. You know, you as, as, a, as a centerpiece of that, what we're advising people is you have to be proactive and educate counterparties, everyone in the system on how you should be treated, how you're willing to work with them, how you should be valued, how you value them, how you should be supported, how you support them. Since we're all of this together, you don't let someone get so far ahead of the rest and, and their machine starts to work. And then, and then they start to make assumptions and, and, uh, and draw conclusions about where everyone else on the board should be. And then you get caught up in that. It, it would make your circumstance much harder if you get caught up and what everyone else is doing and just reacting. So if you think you have enough liquidity, get more as being one of the key mantras. The other mantra we would have is you gotta be the co-author of your own story and you have to be a self-promoter and put it out there to ultimately drive the result you want. You don't wanna be in a situation where the machine is figuring it out and then you're trying to learn how to how to react to that. That, that will not put you in the best position to recover or grow and someday we'll start using the word thrive again right because people are going to survive through this they're going to be different they're going to have adjusted what they need to have adjusted they're going to be more innovative and people will get back to thriving but you've got to be the co-author of your own story and you have to be proactive thank you derek thank you kathy Thanks everyone for listening and please visit us on www.pjsolomon.com.